Hi, it's Xander Berkeley. Of course it is, Xander. How are you? Let's I'm, give you a proper introduction with a little music and everything. Hold on one oh, second. Fantastic. Here we go. Hey, it's Xander Berkeley, Gregory from The Walking Dead. And you're listening to David Brody and Jamie on the Walkers and Talkers podcast. Wow, it's as if he was really here on the phone. Uh, Mr. Berkeley, are you there? I, I am. Is this Dave Brody? Yes, it is. And my co-host, <laughs> Jamie. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm very good. So just How to, are you? We're doing very well. So just to recap, because you meet so many people, we had the uh, great pleasure of meeting you at a, a, chiller, chiller. a chiller event in New Jersey. And then we got to meet you on the red carpet for the season eight premiere out in Los Angeles. And uh, you were wonderfully friendly both times and, yes. and remembered us the second time from the first time. And so uh, yep. I'm going to just safely old assume friend. you. Yes, we're I know old friends. exactly who you are. Yes. And so <laughs> when uh, our mutual friend, David Katz, who we love, uh, told us about the Carney Awards and the people that were being honored, we said, of course, please tell us Xander Berkeley is, is involved because he's the epitome of what the Carney Awards are all about. And he said, of course he is. And we said, well, we have to talk to him. So thank you very much for calling the Walkers and Talkers podcast. We're big fans, and we do appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. It's really it's a, it's great to be recognized by you guys and and on behalf of the Carney Awards because that's uh, like the first time I don't know anything like that's ever happened, and uh, it really meant a lot to me. So thank you. Sure. Well, okay. So we, of course we want to talk to you about uh, your role as Gregory on The Walking Dead, but let's let's talk about the Carney Awards, the third annual Carney Awards which were held on October 29th, and they air December 2nd, which is this coming Saturday as yep. we record this, at 9 o'clock on Cozy TV, C-O-Z-I TV. And I should point out, disclaimer, that it's produced by the Elvis Duran Group, which is our my morning show host, Elvis Duran, and his business partner, David Katz. And so uh, we're doubly excited because it's their project, Yay. but I think it's a great idea. So in your own words, as a as a Carney uh, a nominee, uh, safe to say? Honoree. Honoree, rather. Uh, tell us your interpretation of what the Carney Awards are. Well, you know, it's an acknowledgement of character actors in the business. And uh, I, you know, people that, that, uh, that assume, in, I think it's, it, it, and that, that can take on different meanings because some, some of them are just characters uh, who are not necessarily going through the act of metamorphosis um, from one character to the next. Uh, to extremes, but that uh, are themselves a, a great character. And you see them in the context of all different kinds of stories just doing great work. I think it's, I think it's in, in the opinion of those that are on the, uh, the voting committee, people that are, are doing great work as actors in supporting roles, I think in the, in the broadest sense. Um, Cause I was, uh, I, I immediately took it to mean character because that's something that I've been obsessed with since I was young. The idea of real metamorphosis or real transformation from one role to the next. And as much as I could possibly get away with it uh, in film, because I'd started out doing it in repertory theater where my aim was actually to hoodwink the audience, the <laughs> subscription audience that came to every show in particular. Um, into uh, not believing that I was that same guy from the last play when they would nearly no that was no you you didn't play that part and I was like oh, for me that was the most 
thrilling aspect of what I could possibly pull off is, you know, time travel and shape-shifting. Oh, and, shape-shifting, I like that. And well, that's something, you know, that uh, that there you don't get a lot of uh, nods and, and respect for in, in the industry because, in a way, it sabotages fame and uh, recognition from from an audience's point of view because unless you're paying a lot of attention to if you aren't getting star billing, the fourth or fifth character down, sort of making a point of looking for that name, it's not in your face. And the character, you don't rem- you don't recognize them from one thing to the next. So it's like they're all different actors in your mind and you don't put it together. So it, it, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a thing that's very easy to, and I did, deliberately kind of fly under the radar with my career because I always had this presumption that it would eventually add up. And for me, the Carney Award is it having finally added up to where you get this kind of Hall of Fame, lifetime achievement, um, having reached critical mass on a certain level by the number of performances that you've done convincingly in enough different high-level projects that people go, hey, wait a minute. Right. Now, we had, we had uh, by the way, perfectly explain what the Carney Awards yes. are. We had uh, Richard Kind on, who's a fellow honoree on the show. And Richard explained, very similar to you, that he makes a living and proudly playing hundreds and hundreds of characters doing voiceover work and that he felt that he could portray and transform himself into all of these different characters. And I looked at his IMDb page and I was so impressed that he had 208 credits. Wow. I thought, wow, Richard Kind, 208 credits. I'm looking at your IMDb page, sir, <laughs> and you have 231 credits, and so uh, that's even that's even more impressive <laughs> that you have. You have I, more I like than... to think that's only because I've got a couple of years on Richard. I don't know if I do or not, but it's close. It's close. I, 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 you're both around 35. That's all that matters. Um, but uh, let's let's go down to some of the nominees. Uh, you, of course, William H Macy. Who doesn't know William H Macy? Yeah. Wendy Malick, Richard Kind, and uh, William Finchner. Uh, Fitchner. Uh, one of the things that Richard said, and I, I'm sure you would attest to this, is you often get this on the street. Hey, you're that guy. Hey, you're the guy that was in... Um, uh, do, do you get that a lot? Like, people stop you and they can't quite place you? I mean, obviously now with The Walking Dead, people know you as Gregory. But over your career, you've been in so many things. Do people always remember the last thing you were in? No, heavens no. And even now, it's like... You, does anybody ever tell you that you remind them of this actor? I, I've gotten that throughout my life. And I give them this sort of enigmatic look like going, yes, I've heard that. Yeah, I look a lot like <laughs> It's me. Well, looking at some of the biggest things that, that you I would know you from and that people might know you from, you were in 24, which I loved you in. Uh, you were in The Mentalist, Air Force One, Taken, Terminator 2, CSI. These are some of the things that, that stood out for me and some of the things on, on IMDb that says known for. It likes to choose what you're known for. Um yeah. Of all the projects, the 231 things, other than those big things we mentioned, is there something that struck a chord with you that you think you're known for, or you'd like to be known for? Like, hey, I played a role on this show that I was so proud of that isn't a big thing, but I think I think it was maybe my best work? Well, you know, it's, it's hard to say best work because I, you know, I constantly feel like that's still... I'm like a baseball player, which was my original intent when I was a kid. Um and I would be a total wash-up long ago. Um, the, the beautiful thing about acting is you feel like you're always still learning and your best work is still ahead. 
But uh, there were some bell ringers for me early on in uh, in terms of kind of insider uh, films like Sid and Nancy, which although Siskel and Ebert voted it top 10 of the 1980s, in the top 10 of the 1980s, um, a lot of people, younger people, haven't seen it necessarily. and uh, But a lot of filmmakers did. And I, for example, and there's a film that I got directly from that, a lot of them. I, I worked with Alex Cox, who directed that film on four films. And Mike Figgis, another British filmmaker, who I, who immediately cast me in Internal Affairs after that. And I went on to do Leaving Las Vegas and One Night Stand and, and Time Coat 2000 with him. These are, you know... International films, maybe more, I'm, I think I may be more well-known in Europe than I am here because I, I did target a lot of European filmmakers. That's interesting. Um, yeah, because yeah. I just wanted to keep learning. I mean, that's to me, I, I see life as this long, great opportunity. I wasn't, a, a, you know, I didn't opt for academia, but I did try to approach uh, filmmaking because I wanted to eventually direct um I looked at every acting role I could do as an opportunity to study filmmaking from inside. And I thought I would learn the most by working with the best cinematographers and the best directors in the business. And so I targeted them even in smaller roles a lot of times. And that's another thing that sort of allowed me, enabled me to fly under the radar and be the one out there in the world, all over the world, sitting in a cafe because I'm an artist as well. And I sit and draw in a drawing book and studying other people and um that's sort of been my my thing forever and i i get to store up more data but the the um the films that i i, I worked with those those two directors and and i feel but i feel like Sid and nancy led me to a role uh in a movie where i played julianne moore's husband Again, uh, an art film, a lot of people didn't see, but a lot of people that are cinephiles and filmmakers saw Safe, directed by Todd Haynes, who's been nominated for films that he's done later, but this is very early in his career, and it's a really striking film, and that's one that a lot of people that are real film ophiles know me from as well. And then uh, there's a guy who... And, and, and oddly, the guy who directed that wanted to cast the drug dealer from Sid and Nancy and have him, knowing that he was, you know, not that, wanted to see me play 180 degrees in the other direction and play a completely straight, kind of clueless guy from the valley in the 1980s. Uh, we shot it in the, in the early 90s as a period film set in the late 80s. Uh, and... Julianne just does such a brilliant job in it, and the experience was amazing, and the atmosphere of that film was so stunning that the guy who directed Gattaca um, wanted not just me for the film Gattaca, but knowing by bringing me, he was bringing a piece of the atmosphere from Faith. Nice. And, you know, so you end up, there's a sort of subterranean thing that happens with a career sometimes where in filmmakers honoring other filmmakers' choices with actors, and they see what they and they they see how much an actor transformed themselves from one of their films to another filmmaker's film, and they go, "This guy serves directors. He helps to tell their story." 
effectively. He's not trying to co-opt a story and make it about themselves or just, you know, stand out for the sake of standing out, but sometimes blending in for the sake of telling their story effectively. And, uh, and that, you know, then from Gattaca, you know, there's just that, that I think, uh, because there's an ambiguity in both Safe and Gattaca where you can't really tell if I'm good or bad, and you're sort of led to believe there's something disturbing in both of the films that, that leads you to think that I'm going to be bad and then I turn out not to be, that led to a third thing I'm going to mention, which is maybe uh, the thing that's left the strongest impression that I've gotten the most awards for was a rather obscure uh, web series called the, the Booth at the End. And uh, that's on Hulu. Um, it was one of the very first serious web series when they were mostly just adult swim comedy sketch sort of things going on on the web series. And uh, they tried doing this in the... The writer just had such a brilliant concept. Um, and uh, about a guy that sits at the back booth of a diner and can make things happen, and you don't really know how or what's he, what he's up to, but people find out about him, say a password, sit opposite him, and he gives them a sign. He consults a book furtively, and uh, here's what they want. assigns them a task that will, if they do it, it will happen. Wow. And sometimes an unsavory task. It's certainly almost always out of character for them. It's a challenge for them to accomplish it. And the one caveat is that they have to report back to him on the progress. And then each person that comes in, their stories begin to intertwine. So somehow this guy is like a fallen angel that is setting things into some sort of balance so that he doesn't interfere with the course of human destiny. But he's taking a compass on human morality, and it's an incredibly deep and fascinating thing that all takes place in one environment and uh, people have been almost uh, systematically blown away by it and uh, it was a beautiful well, piece of work. Well, we'll definitely, I'm looking at IMDb, it's 2012, the booth at the end and you said that's on uh, Hulu. Hulu. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that I just got out of what you described in talking about your career is that each little part or smaller role or not headlining role can lead to another thing. You work with a director, you work with a, a, a producer that sees you and, and loves the way you transform yourself and says, oh, you'd be great for this role. I wanted to talk about something that, that caught my eye in looking up your, your bio and things I didn't know about you. Um, knowing you first for me was 24, um, is that there was a character on the show named Nina Myers, and uh, played by Sarah Clark, who you are now currently married to. Did you meet uh, Sarah on the set of 24? Honey, did we meet on the set of 24? <laughs> Oh my God! Nina Myers is in the background. <laughs> the actual these Quiet, events... quietly putting things in the refrigerator so that they don't become audible while I'm on speakerphone. Oh my God! These events take place between 11 a.m. and 12 p.m. noon East Coast time. Oh, that was such a such a great <laughs> show. Please tell her that we're fans and that we, we love her as well. Uh, she just heard that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. you they can never on Amazon. They, on Amazon Prime on Bosch. Yes, I was just going to talk about that. So first of all, they could never remake 24 and capture the magic of that show originally. I don't care who they put in it. The first bunch of seasons of 24 were fantastic. Oh, my God, I'm yelling at Nina Myers. Sorry, Nina Myers. <laughs> okay, now, Nina Myers, uh, who played by Sarah. Hi, Sarah Clark. So Sarah is on Bosch, which is on Amazon Prime, correct? 
Yes. And you are on that show with Titus Welliver. Can I tell you about Titus Welliver? Look, he's a sexy actor who also shows up on Suits. He shows up on all, all kinds of shows. But there was a show when I was younger that was on from Stephen Bochco called... Uh, um, uh, uh, it was a police. Blue. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was no, no. It was, it was um, um, Brooklyn South. It was Brooklyn South. And uh, Titus Welliver, uh, Brooklyn South. And uh, it was only one season, but I loved NYPD Blue. I loved Stephen Bochco, and Titus Welliver played a young police officer on that show, and he was so fantastic that because of that show, everything he's on, I will watch, just because of that show. And every time I see him, I go. He was on Brooklyn South because my father was a police officer and we're from Brooklyn. And so I immediately watched the show. So already I'm in for Bosch. If, if Bosch you love him has... like a father, you know that Titus uh, was the one that presented me my Carney Award. Oh, my God. Really? Because I love him like a brother. And wow. uh, I always felt like he I feel like he's, you know, again, I got a few years on him, but I feel like he's going to be an inductee before long because uh, for the same set of reasons. Well, I'm, uh, so, I'm looking at his IMD page now, and you're right. He should be nominated. Although, spoiler alert, he presented you with your award. That's that's fine. Um, <laughs> but t- please tell Titus that we I love him also. Uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of his work. Uh, he's usually a bad guy these days, but I I, I don't I know I don't know enough about Bosch other than he's a police officer in this. It's a, it's such a cool show. You love it. And yeah, because it's the best thing he's ever gotten to do, and. Uh, and it's it shoots L.A. like no one's ever shot it before. Like like Michael Mann had originally intended for the the failed pilot L.A. takedown before he turned that show that script into Heat. It was a a dark underground film noir L.A. Is it really? Did he? Did he really? That's the Bosch house. It's from Heat. Oh, see, I knew there was a connection because there's too many of those. Yeah. Atmospheric locations that Michael wrote into yeah, yeah, yeah. what yeah, was exactly. LA Takedown was Hannah before he started second guessing and making everything like Miami Vice, like even the title LA Takedown. And that's yeah. why he didn't get the time slot he wanted. It was a little too Miami ish. And uh, and then he he buried it. He showed it as a film in Europe and then got a shot at De Niro and Pacino a few years later and kind of got his act together. Wow. And did it, but uh, yeah, this same producer's from the the uh, pilot, I guess, and or, or from Heat, Peter Young. Peter Young, wow. yeah, because right. it it really has this L.A. noir vibe to it. But um, ladies and gentlemen, Nina Myers is leaving. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks Bye. for the bonus bonus Thank interview. You. Bye, Sarah. Okay, so just a reminder: we're talking about the Carney Awards. The Saturday night, December second, which is this Saturday, nine p.m. on Cozy TV. Um, okay, now if you if you will please indulge us, sir. We have a bone to pick with you about your current role, or one of your current <laughs> roles, because I know you're on like you have seven things in the works. Um, Gregory on The Walking Dead season eight has certainly been making a splash and getting uh, and getting oh, involved yes. in the corruption and the shenanigans. You um, okay? I know you can't comment I'm just on. You know, everybody misunderstands this guy. Right, yeah, right. You yeah. got it. <laughs> Gregory, you are, you're just, you know what you're doing? You're just trying to be diplomatic about it. No bullets, the, no bullet approach. Yeah, you know, I, I, I feel people live longer without letting That's right. And uh, uh, as you told Margaret, Margaret, you know, you're a, some people think they're leaders, but they're not. <laughs> Margaret. Um, I, don't, I don't know how much you can 
comment on whether or not it comes true, but I'm just going to ask you this, which is a safe question. You, Your character delivered a line in the last episode, which was uh, episode uh, five. Five. The, the king, the widow, and, and Rick, where you said to Maggie, prepare the gallows for them. Should we build the gallows? You're handy. Now, you don't have to tell us what happens in the show, but are you at least aware of the foreshadowing from the comics that that might represent? <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, we'll take that as a whistle. We'll take that as a whistle. Now, when we met you on the red carpet, one of the things we asked you was, because you had you had disappeared for a while on the end of season seven, and we said, how soon before we figured out what happened to you? And you said, right away, I come in with a bang. Yeah. Right? And so the first episode... So true. You absolutely did. And seeing it live outdoors in L.A. was fantastic. That was awesome. Um, and we saw Gregory... It was so much yeah. fun. We saw Gregory... Uh, basically, sort of what he did in the comics, similar. You come out and you you tell the people attacking the sanctuary that if they if they don't put their guns down, you'll kick them out of the of hilltop. And then a couple episodes ago, we saw a flashback to you getting breakfast with Stephen Og, uh, Simon, who, by the way, who you live with. We'll just remind everyone that you guys are sharing I, an apartment. Yeah, we, we were roommates until uh, the season ended, and then we had a tearful hug oh, goodbye. No. Oh, he's back in New York, and I'm back with. I'm back with my wife. Oh, but he filled you full of love and his pancakes. Yeah. He did. He did. So we, we saw the flashback <laughs> where we, we, we he talks you into that. We see the backstory now behind the speech. And uh, most recently, you went back to the hilltop, and Maggie first didn't want to let you in, and then she put you in the pen with the saviors. Fortunately, not the saviors from the ones you've been dealing with, the, a different outpost. Um, yeah. You got a bloody head. Oh, Got a bloody head, so uh, we feel a little bad for you. Was that? I felt bad. Now, did you? Uh, how close to that post was your actual head in that scene when you when you? Well, it looked pretty. It looked pretty real, didn't it? It, it did look it very did, real. I did. Look pretty real. We did some fun uh, trickery on that one. Um, I, I did a. You know, I've been killed. Probably, I think. I think I'm. I'm ready to throw down the 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 sort of the dual challenge to Sean Bean for who's been killed more times on screen. Um, because I've met my demise many a time in my many and varied roles. Um, and so I've gotten involved and I really enjoy it because I'm a makeup man as well since the theater since way early on because I'm a painter and a sculptor. I get very, I, I love this part of it. Ever since I was a kid making, you know, with burnt cork on my forehead and ketchup and breakaway sticks in the front yard at 10 with my best friend loping them into doing hijinks and shenanigans. Um, so, yeah, stunt fights just go, I just still love doing them. I'm sure wow. I'll die that way someday. Um, but, uh, the, yeah, it looked good on our end. It looked like you've been yeah, practicing I since you were a kid. <laughs> yeah, um, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen the episode um, because we were up in the mountains for uh, Thanksgiving with, um, with family and friends and stuff. and No reception. And so I'm still awaiting watching. Um, I really had fun doing that whole episode and I'm eager to see it. And um, I, I, one of the things that uh, Craig, uh, Craig, that's, that's my last showrunner. This is the sign of senility. Uh, The guy, Craig Silverstein ran Nikita. And, uh, and and they they do, they are, there are sometimes similarities in these guys. Because you don't see them, they're just the voice. They're like the the, the with the Wizard of Oz, the guys calling the shots, the showrunners behind the scenes. Scott Gimple and I'm sure Craig Silverstein and Scott are friends. Uh, they have mega brains, 
and they're capable of, of, of holding the strings on so many characters at once and plot lines and where they're going to go and weave them, you know, like, yeah, that gallows is a reference that, you know, sharp people like yourself would do this for a living know to pick up on that foreshadowing for not this season. I'll just say, you don't get too eager to see me swing. Um, but down the line, well, it's in the comic book. Um, and, you know, he uses just words and just, you know, objects that will be foreshadowing to the subliminal impact of it. Right. And it's it's just, it's so cool to, to work with Scott. He's, I, I, I had the same joy working with uh, Craig. I think that's why I slipped. That's okay. Um, I think this season, and, this season's done a lot of foreshadowing. There was some foreshadowing with King Ezekiel a couple episodes ago. There's a lot of uh, homages to season one that we've been seeing. Yeah, so. yeah. And you know, well, so there was a reference to something that I, I wondered. I haven't seen it, and I don't know how much of it they included because it was kind of disturbing. It was a very disturbing thing for all of us that witnessed it at the time. And uh, on the United flight, that the Asian doctor. The older man was uh, dragged called, off. Dragged, yeah. dragged off. We tried to evoke that after they hit me in the thing. I don't know if they kept the part where they dragged me. Yes. Yeah, they did. They did drag you. Yes, they did. Yeah, and because I look so different, I'm big guy and and uh, certainly not Asian, and I didn't try to mimic the sounds of that guy out of respect to him. But um, I, I, there, there's something in the shock. Because that guy was 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 uh, dragged off, and some something had, he'd been similarly he'd been hit in the head. So when he came back on, he wasn't his right self. And so when they dragged him off, he just kept saying, "Just kill me, just kill me, just kill me, just kill me." And there was something compass not mentis in somebody that's very intelligent that was so disturbing to. And Scott and I talked about that, and and how we wanted to evoke some feeling of that when Gregory, because here's this, here's this dilemma. We've, we've been taught to hate this guy. And I've tried to keep alive uh, an element of um, affection for him because this has been my one get, because I think this is what, when I was first brought offered the character and there's this laundry list of unctuous qualities. Um, and I, I just feel like, one of the things that TV can do, even more than movies sometimes, are the kinds of movies that I used to work on and, and have, that they don't tend to make as much anymore. So I'm, I'm doing more TV because TV is more dimensional. And I think ever since 24, it's sort of the shift that went this way. Better and more dimensional writing for you know television. Um, and sort of the marvel uh, of it all sort of shifting ever since certainly 2008 after the writer's strike, them not wanting to take a gamble with a large sum of money for a movie that wasn't a surefire franchise. And so there, there's more interesting and more dimensional writing in TV at this point. But there's still old habits that TV has and that I'm always trying to play against, which is that, okay, we, we root for the good guy because he's always brave. And we'll root for the big bad in a weird kind of way because he's always brave and tough. And we root for the tough guys. And we hate the coward because it's probably in us all. We we want to identify with the strength. And we want to feel like that's us. 
that were there's somewhere in most people there's an element of fear and the unknown of how they would react in these dire circumstances that we're always watching being played out in TV shows. Um, and there's the wish to to be the hero, and if not, then certainly to be tough, but not to be the coward. Ooh, and we hate that part of ourselves. And so to see somebody play it uh, evokes just real animosity. And I've, I've been subjected to it. So it's been a fascinating thing to witness. Well, you and, and you and Josh McDermott both for, for slightly different reasons. Yeah, yeah. And Seth uh, Gilliam uh, has gotten a bit of it. Oh, sure. Yeah, his, his initially. Yeah, his, right. Now he's a rough rider with his big gun. And, <laughs> and you know, I, that's why I ditched him. <laughs> I had a big gun. He's covered. He's cool. Right. Is that music? That little white collar? He looks like he's in a western. Right, listen, he called Negan and he called him an asshole, right? I, yes, he did. Yeah, so, I mean, he's, he's toughened up now. And then he got punched in the face. I'd like to see Gregory call Negan an asshole. Let's see how that goes. <laughs> well, well you know, I, you know, there's still hope for Gregory to toughen up a bit, even if only for a second. Yeah. That's all I'll you know what? I think you perfectly describe the Gregory character because I think most of the time we watch him and we don't trust him and we think he's up to no good. But I think initially when when uh, Stephen Ogg's group, Simon Ogg's group, Simon Ogg, uh, Stephen, uh, Simon, thank you. I do that all yeah. the time. When Simon first came to uh, Hilltop, I felt sympathetic to you. I felt, although you were coward-like in your character, I think everyone felt bad that you were being bullied by these people. And I have to yeah. be honest, I think I had this... It's funny you mentioned the, the gentleman on the airplane because as they were dragging you, here was this man... Gregory's a proud man, even if he's not the bravest. And you were you were diminished to a crying adult yes. male, whimpering like you've lost everything, kind of almost like King Ezekiel, and and it was saddening, and and you didn't expect to be sad about Gregory, because yeah, know. you know I mean listen season premiere we were hoping they shot your character when you were saying <laughs> you don't have a home and then Maggie said do what you got to do to the Hilltoppers and we thought that meant if you want to shoot him shoot him. We thought they were going to shoot you right there and like, oh, we don't have a home? Bang. Transfer that now to your what we're talking about. And I felt bad that you were put in the pen with the saviors. And that's, and that's really what, what the point I was got into. I get too um, excited and I, I talk too long about it. But the, that's basically the gist is to take an audience on a journey. It's to me, all I've ever wanted to do. And, yeah, I'm trying to flesh out this character. And, and you need all, all sorts in order to make a story like this play for as long as it has and to take and introduce this character who is some guy at a, at a I went to this uh, con to see all my relatives in Texas the other day uh, in Austin. And the guy came up to me and said, you know that I believe Gregory is the first character since Dr. I can't remember Dr. What's his name from lost in space. Oh, 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 Dr. Smith, Dr. Smith. Yeah. Yeah. It's Dr. Smith that had bravado and bluster and was a coward. And that is true. I think it's like the, that, that combination. I think that's what so drives people nuts about Gregory is that he's a show of these, a bragging. He kind of has these, these narcissistic, big, broad qualities. And then he's a coward and doesn't back it up by being tough. Right. A little dick politician. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds us of some people. Um, and the, uh, the, the fact that you can get somebody that is so vile on a certain level like that 
and to, to manipulate in a way people's feelings to get them so riled up. But at the same time, to me, my one get, as I was starting to say before, was that he would be entertaining. I made the, just like Scott, so I said, how does it turn out to be this big of an asshole? And he said, well, life has taught Gregory bad lessons. And I, okay, I get it. And so, you know, all the things that he did in life sort of rewarded him for being a dick. And, uh, and over and over in one way or another, and he kept taking those, those lessons, uh, to the bank. And, um, didn't have any cause to change. And now he's in this new world where all bets are off and he's having to, he's reeling with how to, how to think on his feet and how to, how to, you know, survive. Right. And, uh, so he, he, the, the one, the, one of the bad lessons I wanted life to have taught him was that he's, he's, he thinks he's funny that, you know, he used to, you know, crack jokes seeing that they were inappropriate or not at all funny tone deaf. And everybody would laugh because he was their boss and they didn't want to get fired. And so he's, he's for years, he's had this puffed up sense of himself being entertaining and can tell a great story. And because when he'd go down to the bar with everybody, everybody'd have to pay attention because he was their boss. And uh, I even make the, the sort of the voice, the vocal quality kind of blown out and everything because I wanted him to be somebody who smoked cigars in noisy bars, had to shout to be heard over everybody, blew out his chords that way over the years. And, um, but that th th this is an element that I incorporated so that he would be a, a, like a kind of mythic American, like in the old West, because there's, there's something about the show that has this, that evokes the old wild West to me and that everybody's on their own trying to scramble and, find their place in this post-apocalyptic frontier and uh, that there was always those kind of characters. And I just have always been sort of entertained by those characters and people have, have been sort of coming up to me saying, there's a little Robert Preston in there. There's a little, there's a little Frank Morgan from Robert Preston from the music man and Frank mm -hmm. Morgan from the Wizard of Oz, sure. Huckster, these larger than life American Hucksters. And, and that kind of got it all, I tapped into that, I think, just by studying Kirkman's uh, freeze frames from the comic book and just trying to throw my body into these gestures that he made in the, draw in the drawings. And that's what kind of came out of my voice and out of my body language was, was those were those kind of characters and that sound. And uh, so to me, I've, I've, I've sort of ended up becoming kind of the comic relief on a certain level so that it would be somebody that you would feel affection. You'd love to hate him. You wouldn't just, oh, it's just disgusting. I want to change the channel. It's more like he's fun to watch being an asshole. Uh, yeah, and, and, I, and I think that's what makes The Walking Dead great, is almost everyone on the show, regardless of whether you love them or dislike them, I mean, Negan's a villain, but he's humorous and... In the comics, oh, fun he's to watch. yeah, fun to watch. He's you know, I made you spaghetti. You just he, want to uh, know more. You want to know more about the character, and I think that's the same with Gregory. I think the only character on the show that our listeners, our followers, that and both of us agree is Jared, who's currently at the oh. hilltop. Uh, Ratface Jared has to go. There's nothing redeeming about we him. Can't stand him. And so, uh, you know, I hear he's a nice guy. I, I I follow his Twitter. He seems like a nice guy. But boy, on that show, there is nothing redeeming about Jared's character. So uh, I know you're. I know you're in a pen with him right now on the show. He just got headbutted and, 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 and yeah. And if he's a nice guy, then he's a hell of an actor because he's despicable. <laughs> he is not finding the good qualities like you are to bring out in that character. <laughs>
I'll have to talk to him about that. Yeah, if you could tell him to find <laughs> find a, a silver lining in his day. Uh, now, just yeah. to, just Some people to, just get a chance to play a dick and they go to town, don't they? Yeah, yes, they do. <laughs> He's doing a good job. Yes, they do. Uh, so, just to confirm, now you guys have you guys wrapped for the season? That has the whole yeah. cast. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, did yeah. you did you go to the uh, Lenny James dinner? Were you part of that? Um, I I was not because I was uh, I was again Gregory uh, tends to sort of let the last last episode go and and uh, let let the let the shit blow over and and uh, I run back to my children who I've been missing for a long time and uh, get back into the family fold and tell everybody I'm sorry I couldn't be there. Very good. I got you. I got you. I got you. Well, listen. Uh, this is uh, hopefully we can do this again. We feel like we're like you said we're all friends. Yes. Um, yeah. We're very honored to have you, Mr. Xander Berkeley, <laughs> nominee, an honoree, presented uh, an award by Titus Welliver, who I also love. <laughs> the third annual Carney Awards, Saturday, December second. This Co- Saturday. This Saturday, Cozy TV, and uh, I'm sure it's an NBC Universal cable channel. Uh, I'm sure that it will be rerun if you miss it the first time. If you hear this podcast too late, I'm sure it'll be available. But you know what? Some of the best actors in the world are people yeah, that need to be honored. Some of the, and some of the kindest. And that's not just a play on Richard Kind's name. <laughs> Very but kind it, man, though. It's true. He is such a sweetheart. And, and, and I feel really, it was such a, an old home week for me, that, that whole experience. Because I, I don't know if everybody, but I had worked with every single other actor that was, uh, you know, awarded that night. And, and it just made me feel like, you know, we, we are in this, Really incredible little club of those that have got have been so fortunate to work and keep working for so many years and and uh, all work together and and so it was a really happy making experience and I just love what uh, the Katz brothers Jim did all the managing and handling from my point of view and he was just such a lovely guy to deal and work with and and to, to get to meet Art Carney's son and. And you wear the hat for a minute. Come on. Oh, the Art Carney hat. Art uh, Carney. I have two awards. I got the Maltese Falcon Award handed to me by Stephen Bogart um, at the Bogart Film Festival. And I got this award handed, you know, more or less handed to me by, and I uh, got to meet uh, Art Carney's son. And I, my father would have just flipped because he and I used to watch the Honeymooners and, and Bogart movies together. And, they were both those guys were were both of our heroes and and so uh, it feels roundly rewarding on every possible level. So yeah, well, thanks, uh, thanks I, 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 I yeah, I watched the Honeymooners with my dad, and to be honest, Art Carney, one of the greatest actors, physical comedians, comedic actors, um, and one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Uh, this award is aptly named uh, for, as a Carney Award to honor Art Carney, and I know that you grew up. A fan of his, and to wear the hat that he was famous for wearing, I can't imagine well, and, what that what must have been like. And and even the character of Gregory, I I do an enhanced physicality because there are people that are very animated in their physicality. I am myself, and I I always curtail it when I'm on film because most people aren't. But here's a character that is, and the the way in which he's drawn in the comic book, and so to breathe that kind of physicality into and and a comedic kind of physicality that at times helps, uh, you know, create the diversity that the show needs for the contrast from some of the, the gruesome, depressing, dire, tragic, violent aspects of the show to be able to create uh, some upliftment and some physicality that sort of is, is just sets a different tone. And I know that I'm embodying, and ever since I was a kid, 
you know, you'd watch a Charlie Chaplin movie or you'd watch Art Carney on the Honeymooners and, and your body would just become enlivened by their physicality and it made you want to dance, as it were, as an actor when you grew up. Well, Xander, I don't think I will watch another episode of The Walking Dead and look at Gregory, knowing you more now after this interview, mm-hmm. look at him the same way because I'm going to be looking for the mannerisms and the humanity of his character that maybe I wasn't looking for previously. Super expressive with your And so eyes. I, I hope you're on The Walking Dead for a long time so we can have more interviews. And if and when the time ever comes, you're not. I'd love to talk to you again about, you know, uh, final thoughts on the show. I'm sure there'll be other things we can talk to you about. But again, congratulations on, on, the, uh, on the Carney Award. And, and thank you for giving us what we thought would be 10 minutes, almost an hour. We really do appreciate it, Xander. Thank you. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you guys thank so, you so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. So I feel like I want to shut this shit down, but I just, I really enjoyed that interview. That was fascinating, actually. And if you got to this point of the interview, listening to this podcast, we appreciate it. I know it's a long interview, but uh, I I think it was well worth it. Boy, he's- very interesting. He's, the Carney Awards is such a great idea. And I I told that to the guys who created the show when they told me what they were going to do. Yeah. Because you know all these people- they don't win Emmys and Grammys and Tonys usually. They, maybe they get a supporting actor role once in their career mm-hmm. or nominated. But they, those people don't always win because you don't know them. Exactly. It's usually the big stars that take a, a supporting role and they go, oh, he was great as a supporting role, but he's such a great actor. Oh, These guys like Xander Berkeley and, and Richard Kind and uh, Wendy Malick, who's on every TV show. You're like, oh my God, that's Wendy Malick, but you don't know her name. Uh, thanks, Xander Berkeley, uh, yes, for, for doing you. that. We always play the clip of you. We joke about <laughs> meeting you, but uh, that was great. And uh, you know what? For the, for everyone listening, look at Gregory a little bit differently and see if you see the things he talked about. All right, it's time. What time is it? It's time to quietly. Uh, oh, are sh- we, are we gonna uh, shut this shit? Yeah, I think we should do. It's it's time to it's time to shut, shut this, this shit down. down. Okay.